Mustafa and Ken here. Welcome back to the Alert Medic One podcast. Alert Medic One response. Yeah, I feel like I said enough controversial stuff last time we recorded. I'm uh, I'm waiting for those episodes to hit so you can tell me. Yeah, about I got to pu- edit and publish those. I, they were really good episodes, I thought. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely expecting some hate mail. Yeah. Which is okay. You just hate volunteers, so it's uh, I don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't. We were having a theoretical conversation. I, uh, yeah, anything cool lately? Anyone any cool calls? Um, yeah, let me tell you about this situation I had, mm-hmm. and we'll see where this takes us. Okay. Okay? So, get a call. At we'll call we'll call it a skilled nursing facility. Okay. Um, maybe a little higher level than your standard skilled nursing facility. Um, and no, no comments for a cardiac arrest. We get there, and the crew's working on the patient, and they're doing a great job, and they really don't need anything from me. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to track down paperwork from the facility. Okay. And uh, so, basically, we eventually find the paperwork, and there's a DNR. Oh, boy. And we stopped, and mm. the facility was very unhappy with me and tried to tell me it wasn't a valid DNR. It was, and that they were going to have uh, a physician call me and revoke the DNR. I told them it didn't work that way. It literally does not work that way. And uh, it created an interesting topic of discussion that's kind of the condensed version um yeah you know uh because a dnr is a valid legal document signed Mm -hmm. by the patient's physician and expressing his or her own wishes and i'll tell you what man i was having this conversation at one of the uh places i teach at and we were it was just a couple of us instructors talking about how um some even EMS clinicians have the tendency to just like revoke, you know, just like disregard uh, uh, DNRs or, you know, end of life orders. Mm-hmm. And that really irritates um, That really irritates me because I remember, you know, with uh, going th- with my dad going through the DNR process and like uh, these are very intimate and important conversations between patients, their families, and their physicians. Right. And for any clinician to feel that they trump that is very irritating Mm -hmm. to me. Um, We all know that some of them are pencil whipped, right? We all know that. Uh, In my anecdotal experience, some of them are pencil whipped when it comes to like uh, skilled nursing facilities and stuff like that. And there's also nuance that can't be teased out of a single page document. Um, and I'm sure there are various different forms of DNRs across the world and across the nation, but in Maryland, it's uh, the the pertinent part to EMS is one page, right? You know, and it's pretty clear cut. The fact of the matter is, though, like I, uh, it, it, you would think that the skilled nursing facility would have some experience in that realm. You would think, and part of the issue was they had the patient in their system as a full code. Mm. However, in the chart was a valid DNR form. So a clerical error turned into some pretty drastic stuff. Yes. Mm. But that's, and the reason I bring this up is because a lot of people aren't really comfortable making these decisions. Mm -hmm. And when you're confronted with multiple people telling you, you have to do something, 
when you know it's not the right thing to do, mm-hmm. it becomes it, it becomes difficult, and you start to doubt yourself. Sure. You know, yeah. because, well, what if I'm making the wrong decision? Especially, you know, if maybe the patient's viable or maybe the scene is, you know, emotional or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, but ultimately, you have to do the right thing ethically, mm-hmm. which is to honor the patient's wishes. Sure. You know? Sure. At what point is medical direction, and not in like tell me what to do, but just I would say medical consultation? I think whenever there's any reasonable doubt mm-hmm. in the situation. For me in this situation, there was no reasonable doubt. Yeah, because you have the document. I have the document. Yeah. It's it's properly signed and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but at what point does medical direction come in when there when there's any reasonable doubt mm-hmm. or any uh maybe extenuating circumstances sure. uh you know one thing that kind of comes up for me is if a patient is maybe they're on hospice but they don't have the DNR but they have the hospice paperwork and they have power of attorney paperwork and mm-hmm. they clearly don't want you to work this patient and they're emaciated and clearly some kind of end stage disease mm-hmm. and they're not going to have any quality of life even if you were to resuscitate them mm-hmm. that would be one where I would I would contact medical medical direction and and very clearly spell out what I have and why I think the proper ethical thing to do would be to terminate the resuscitation sure, sure. paint a good picture yeah that's tough man it is going back to what we talked about previously I mean we're throwing some really young and experienced people into these situations we do I I used I remember you know 10 plus years ago when I first started working where I work um I've been there 13 years now um I remember riding around being, you know, 21, 22, 23 with another 21, 22, 23-year-old firefighter. Um, I didn't have a paramedic partner. And we used to say all the time, I can't believe they just, like, let us two kids loose on the world as the paramedics and and do what we will do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's... in a way, that's the reality of any career, but I think it's different in EMS because we get put into situations where we're making really drastic decisions by ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. like, yes, there's a radio there. I can pick it up and I can talk to a physician or a supervisor or somebody like that. But when the shit really hits the fan and it's crunch time and I need to make a decision right now to save somebody, I don't have time to pick up a radio. You know, if if somebody really needs a crike or something like that, if they really need it, I don't have time to pick up a radio and mother may I for that. Mm-hmm. Like, it needs to happen right now, and I need to know how to do that by myself or else, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, uh, well, we should probably differentiate between uh, a DNR, so a do not resuscitate order, and what we have in Maryland, which is a uh, order for life-sustaining treatment. Which I think has become kind of the, the standard across the country, I believe. Yeah. Well, the only reason I bring that up is because I have a current document from Kentucky, which does not. It's okay. only a DNR form. Uh, so Kentucky Emergency Medical Services do not resuscitate order. Uh, I, the undersigned person or surrogate who uh, has been designated to make healthcare decisions in accordance with Kentucky revised statutes, hereby direct that in the event of my cardiac or respiratory arrest that this do not resuscitate order be honored. 
I understand that DNR means that if my heart stops beating or if I stop breathing, no medical procedure to restart breathing or heart function, more specifically the insertion of a tube into the lungs or electrical shocking of the heart or cardiopulmonary, cardiopulmonary resuscitation CPR will be started by emergency medical services, per, uh, services personnel. What's key here, I, I understand that this decision will not, and that's emphasized, prevent emergency medical services personnel from providing other medical care. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the issues that I've run into isn't necessarily CPR, it's ALS care. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, uh, and that's, a, you know, looking back over the over the course of my, not necessary career career, but my career in EMS in Maryland, DNR has gone through a lot of changes because it used to be, if you had a DNR in Maryland, mm-hmm. uh, you had either what we called an A or a B. And if you had a B, it was basically a palliative care order. And we could basically do nothing for you. Even if, you know, you're diabetic and you're hypoglycemic, well, that's too bad because you're a DNR B. But if you're a DNR A, okay, we can give you some D50. Um, we didn't have D10 at the time. But mm-hmm. uh, so I do think there's hesitation sometimes on the on the – part of paramedics and EMTs to treat somebody who's a DNR. But it's important to remember that a DNR, particularly one that specifies that treatment can be administered up to the point of intubation and or, you know, respiratory cardiac arrest, is not a do not treat order. Mm -hmm. It's a do not resuscitate order. Mm -hmm. So it's important for us to still do an assessment and still treat these patients because you know, they deserve treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what's hard is the uh, inherent, uh, I guess, vagueness of the, all this, right? So this is, I'm looking currently at uh, the Do Not Resuscitate DNR and other patient designated directives, Emergency Medical Services Authority, California Health and Human Services Agency. Uh, this is EMSA number 3116 revision, October 2018, EMS personnel guidelines limiting pre-hospital care. Uh, it just goes through the various authorities, blah, blah, blah. Um, the, uh, this, the conditions under here are interesting. So EMS, uh, EMSA CMA approved pre-hospital DNR form. Under the EMSA CMA approved pre-hospital DNR form, do not resuscitate means no chest compressions, uh, defibrillation, endotracheal intubation, assistive ventilations, or cardiotonic drugs. The patient should receive all other care not identified above for all other medical conditions according to local protocols. Hmm. Uh, here's where the vagueness comes in. Relief of choking caused by a foreign body is usually appropriate. Usually. Although if breathing has stopped and the patient is unconscious, ventilation should not be assisted. Okay. Uh, requests must be signed and dated, blah, blah, blah. Uh, 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 in general, EMS personnel should you see the written, in general, the US EMS personnel should see the written pre-hospital DNR form unless the patient's physician is present and issues a DNR order. Which I always that one also troubled me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, correct identification of the patient is cru- identification of the patient is crucial. But after a good faith attempt to identify the patient, the presumption should be that if that the identity that the identity is correct, if documentation is present and the circumstances are consistent, there should be a properly completed standard EMS CMA DNR form available with the patient. That is so much vagueness. Yeah. You know, w- what is the definition of a good faith attempt? What is the definition um, uh, 
uh, circumstances being consistent. I mean, I think we can all generally talk about that, but it's mm-hmm. that 10 90% of the time I think we'll get it right. The 10% is what I'm worried about. And even in that 90%, I think a good lawyer could still, still jam you up. Mm-hmm. And then there's another so these are basically going through all the different forms that are available. The other one is the EMSA approved post form, P O L S T, uh which what does POL stand for? I'm assuming it's some kind of order for life-sustaining treatment. Yeah. Pre-hospital, maybe? Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And this then goes into what you were saying. Uh, uh, so Section A applies only to individuals who do not have a pulse and are not breathing. Um, and, and this kind of is more similar to our form uh, that we have. So and then Section B applies only to individuals who have checked, do not att- uh, do not attempt resuscitation DNR in Section A and who have a pulse and or breathing. Uh, and then it goes into a full series of uh, different possibilities. If the individual has checked full treatment, if the individual has checked selective treatment, I just think this, this is one of those things where it's not conducive to the realities of EMS. Right. I think they're trying to do the best they can. Yeah. Right. I'm not critiquing anyone, but I think it's one of the most, I think refusals and DNRs are some of the hardest things for EMS to deal Mm -hmm. with. I think it would be important to have a, a lawyer online for the podcast who yeah. can really break this down for us. I was just thinking that. You know, because, again, we don't know what we don't know, right? And it's just so hard, man. It's just so hard. I, I, I'm right here. I'm durable, do not resuscitate program, Virginia Department of Health. You know, um, it's just same thing. I, I mean, obviously, it's a common it's a common issue um, uh, experienced by folks across medicine, but I think EMS gets thrown into the intimate situations of like we don't have the advantage of being in a hospital. We're not on right. our turf. We're on their turf, on the patient's turf, and they deserve every appropriate treatment option to sure. provide. Right, but they also deserve the empathy and the sympathy of end of life uh, dignity. Yeah, you know, it's such a hard thing. It's such a hard thing. You know, how do you teach your new people? How do you like? You know, how do you? How do you? How does that work? So. I mean, for me, it kind of starts off with, you know, when you're when you're talking about new people, are you talking about like a, a new EMT or paramedic or somebody new to the job? Both. Both. Okay. Both. Sure. I, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so for a new EMT or paramedic, you know, I, I always start off, of course, with what's in the book. Um, and then I talk about real life situations. <coughs> Excuse me. Then we talk about real-life situations, and then we kind of move into, you know, what does our protocol say, and what are some of the nuances in the protocol. And at its core, what it comes down to is it's a question of what is best for the patient and their wishes. You know, what what do they want? If they want to be resuscitated, we're going to resuscitate them. If they don't, we're not, you know. Um, I mean, and, and it sounds very easy, very, you know, black and white, uh, but as you know, it there are many shades of gray in between. Sure, sure. You know, some of the nuances that uh, kind of come up are what are acceptable DNR orders, you know, in terms of bracelets and stuff like that. <clears throat> Who can issue a verbal DNR order? A, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, at least here in the state of Maryland, not only a physician but a mid-level can provide an oral DNR order if they're on site. And I think that really comes from, you know, the hospice world where we may see something like that. Um, but, you know, how do, how do we teach new people? Is that about true? DNRs? It is. Look it up. Nurse practitioner and physician assistant can can order a 
An it, oral? An oral DNR order. Interesting. Because yep. uh, I'm seeing here, the order form may be signed by, uh, that's a form may be assigned by a doctor, nurse practitioner, or physician assistant. Uh, you know what? I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to pull up the protocol. That's very yeah, interesting. Yeah, pull that up. Yeah. Um, Fact check me. Yeah, yeah. No, no, continue. Sorry. Um, So stuff like that. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know that there's a lot I can teach somebody about DNR that's not in a book. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a very legalese kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate that, um, the, uh, you know, whenever we teach it in paramedic programs, it's also one of the driest topics. Yeah, it you is. Know? But it's important. And, you know, I've run into situations where, and this is hard, you know, we get a call for a cardiac arrest and we get there. And the patient's son says, don't do anything. He's a DNR. You know, I just need to report that he's died. You know, I don't want you to do anything. Okay, where's the DNR? I don't know. Mm. But he's physically blocking you from entering the the room and expressly telling you not to do anything. Mm -hmm. So then it becomes, okay, is this really a situation where we need to, like, have the police forcibly remove this guy? Like, mm-hmm. is that is that really what we're going to do? When I can see the patient, and he's obviously chronically ill, end-of-life type situation, you know, there's hospice paperwork. He's got a power of attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is – he's probably not, you know, BSing me about this. Like, there probably is a DNR. And thankfully, sure. in this situation, we did find it re- relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but – that's a, that's that's the kind of scenario I give people when we talk about training new people. Sure, sure. Because it's it's hard, you know. It's it's a a tricky situation. Yeah, the DNR protocol in Maryland is one of the longer ones. Yeah, I'm just trying to find the. Oh, I'm just trying to find it in the actual document. Yeah. Um, the three point eight. There we go. Pronouncement. Oh nope, that's not it. Uh, EM, uh, so uh, 3.8 EMS DNR most a most form of acceptable EMS DNR order is presented. Uh, excuse me, a most form or acceptable EMS DNR order is presented to EMS by family caregivers or found on scene, and patient is in cardiac or respiratory arrest, or patient is nonverbal or lacks medical decision making capacity. Uh, so then there's the resuscitation status. Uh, so acceptable DNR orders. Maryland most form or bracelet may be original. May be an original copy or electronic format for patient care decisions. However, sending facility must provide paper copy to EMS prior to patient transport. Maryland EMS DNR form or bracelet. There is no expiration or older version of DNR forms. I've never, I'm always worried about that too, like the bracelet. Like, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, Medic alert DNR bracelet or necklace. They used to be pretty common when we had the actual DNR before MULST. I haven't seen one since MULST came out. Okay. Out-of-state EMS DNR form, oral DNR order from EMS system medical cons- medical consultation, uh, oral DNR order from other on-site physician, physician assistant, nurse practitioner. Wow. Wow. I tell you what. Well, I'll be, I'll be once ta- in a while, I know something. Yeah, I'll be taking their name out down. I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah. You know. 100%. Uh, unacceptable DNR orders. Advanced directives without a MOLS or DNR order or other oral or written requests shall not be honored by EMS without EMS system medical consultation. And I'm, I'm happy that we have that out. You know, that outs important. Uh, Revocation of DNR orders. An EMS DNR order may be revoked at any time by a physician cancellation or destruction of all EMS DNR order devices or a verbal statement by the patient made directly to EMS clinicians requesting resuscitation or palliative care only. In this case, EMS DNR devices devices do not need to be destroyed. EMS clinicians must thoroughly document the revocation. A verbal revocation by the patient is only good for the current response for which it was issued. So let me ask you this. Does that mean 
Um, uh, any patient could just say, I just want palliative care at any given point. Like if you, if you have a 30 some year old person who's like otherwise healthy, has no comorbidities, no uh, long-term illnesses. I, if they, yeah, I only want palliative care. Do we read, I mean, read it again? I thought that was just for revocation, not implementation. Yeah, yeah. A verbal statement by the patient made directly to EMS clinicians requesting resuscitation or palliative care only. Huh. That little, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, honestly, yes, right? Because we have, we can only do what the patient allows yeah. us to do. So, yes, I, I was, I didn't mean to say that we would do more than the patient wants to no, do. No, you're right. But that was just interesting. That little part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I interpret that. Right. Yeah. I I don't know. And all, and then a revocation of DNR orders. Uh, so the first one was uh, can be revoked at any time by. And the other one is, the next bullet is, an authorized decision maker other than the patient cannot revoke an EMS DNR order verbally. Decision makers with the authority to revoke an EMS DNR order must either void or withhold all EMS DNR order devices if they wish resuscitation for the patient. If there is any confusion, the EMS clinician should consult a base station. So, you know, it's interesting. You see it a lot with really bad asthmatics and COPDers and uh, pulmonary edemas. When you go into the ER, one of the first things they'll ask is, is it okay if we need to, to put a breathing tube down your throat? And I guess it's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if they say no, then okay, you're probably, you know, if you need it, you're probably going to die then, but we'll, uh, we won't do it. And I want to bring it back to what you were saying about, uh, you know, EMS DNR medical protocols. You still have to perform a limited patient assessment to include check for a palpable pulse, check for respirations in an unresponsive patient, and check for the most form or other acceptable EMS DNR form. Um, and then it just goes through the, a list of, you know, most A1, most A2, most B. Um, um, uh, um, you can do external bleeding treatment, standard treatment, direct pressure tourniquet, immobilize, immobilize fractures with devices to minimize pain, uncontrolled pain or other symptoms. Uh, yeah, you can give patient described medication. This is, I mean, it's just, again... I know the document is so long, and it needs to be. I'm not. I'm not criticizing the document. What I'm saying is, it's tough for EMS. Yeah, you know, it's tough for EMS. Um, yeah, I, I hate to be that. I like this flow chart, but I hate to be that doc on the other line too. Yeah, I imagine that's tough. I don't know. I don't know, man. What else? Anything else cool going on? Uh honestly, I'm. I'm trying to think. I feel like not really. Um. Nothing out of the ordinary or super exciting or anything going on with me. I think. Um, and, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. So you're going to say. Uh, I think it's interesting that uh, you sent me a protocol from where was it? Where the oral, yeah, yeah Massachusetts. Yeah, oral antipsychotics. Yeah, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, for BLS. Um, and that's going to be its own episode. Which yeah, well, we can talk about. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to read that other article I sent you uh, about. I did not. Okay. <laughs> So basically the premise of this article, and cannot remember where it was from. Let me. Was it Reddit? No. Well, that's where I found it, but that's not the, the author of the article. It was, oh, overrunproductions.com, Toxic Heroism and EMS, The Perfect Storm. So basically the premise of this article was that a lot of people get into EMS with a mindset that they're going to save the world and they're going to run all these cool calls that you see on TV where people are like underneath trains and hanging upside down out of cars and, 
you know, resuscitating cardiac arrests and, you know, they'll, they'll wake up and walk away and stuff like that. And then you get in the job and you find out that it's not like that at all. And that essentially that leads to high levels of burnout and stress and frustration. And I thought that was interesting. Um, I've definitely dealt with burnout myself. I don't know that I ever had those expectations though. You know, I think I had a much more tempered view. Um, I don't feel like I'm burned out right now. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I, I, that's not the expectation I have, um, or I think have ever had, but maybe some people do. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know anybody that I can think of that thinks they're going to get in the job and be a superhero and then find out that that's not the case and they're, you know, crushed by it. But maybe there are people like that out there. I, I guess it never occurred to me. I just, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I think the tempered expectations thing is important. Yeah. You know, I'm just reading through the uh, comment section on Reddit. Okay. Of this. Uh, so you had sent me some Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts adds oral antipsychotic medications to EMT scope of practice. So BLS scope of practice. Um, I want to learn more about this because like. Yeah, I think we should do a deeper dive into yeah, that. I don't, yeah. I don't want to give too much away if we're yeah. going to do a real episode yeah. on it. I just I'm going through the comments and I'm just like, oh, I, I wonder where where I mean, I'm sure we I mean it's public so like I googled it so I'm sure yeah. we can talk about the comments that people sure, make. oh my god, like, <laughs> there that's a conversation for another day okay but yeah, what's your I mean oral medications in EMS we don't really I mean don't do a lot of that don't do a lot of that at all I mean we have um like acetaminophen mm-hmm. uh, but like i mean everything else is got oral glucose yeah 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 or not oral glucose activated charcoal yeah yeah because the oral glucose bucal yep you know yeah. you don't have water so you can't do tablets unless well you do. we'd have to start carrying water if we we're going to carry it. now one thing they have in there though with that protocol <coughs> again not to give too much away but they I have think ken has covid i might have the uh the odt tablets mm, you yeah. know so that's yeah. a possibility too yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, that, that'd that be... Because that's how some places do uh, on Dancitron. Yeah, yeah. That's how I've always had it. I mean, that and IV, but... Right. Um, well, they do BLS, so far. A lot of places do it. Right? Yeah, I don't know. ODT? Maryland I don't see it. why not. Maryland doesn't do it. No. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. I'm all for training the lowest level to function as high as possible. I am too. You know, I, I'm really of the mindset that maybe, maybe it just shouldn't be a blanket statement, but for a lot of things, if my physician, (coughs) good Lord, if my physician can prescribe me something at home to do, why can't an EMT do it? So for a perfect example, you're a diabetic, your physician prescribes you, glucagon uh-huh. for your wife to give you if your sugar drops yeah okay if if my wife can give me glucagon if i'm a diabetic why can't we train an emt to give glucagon mm, interesting how much extra training does that really take to do we're gonna have to get a we're gonna have to get a medical director to sit across from us and see. What i would love to have this conversation yeah. with a medical director yeah i've never thought about it that and way. i felt the same and we now have bls albuterol nebs in maryland mm-hmm. um but I felt the same way about albuterol. If I'm an asthmatic and I can be prescribed albuterol to take at home, 
Mm-hmm. Why can't an EMT be trained? And the, the the worry was always the pulmonary edema thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, what if we have EMTs giving albuterol to pulmonary edema? But you can make protocols that work around 99% of that. You know, you can say, okay, they have to have a history of asthma or COPD, and they mm-hmm. have to have wheezing. They have they have to be, you know, you know, stuff like that. You know, is that going to single out every person who has something else going on? No. But it will get you close. I think it's interesting because you also have to do a cost-benefit analysis. So when the patient-doctor the patient, the patient doctor relationship, right, they know that patient. Mm-hmm. They know exactly the ins and outs of that patient, you would hope. And they know the, the, the cost-benefit uh, you know, analysis. Whereas a standing order for an EMT uh, or a paramedic, for that matter, and a paramedic, I should say, uh, the, 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 the physician and the, or the team, the physician and you know, operational leadership team don't know every single patient. Right. So I think that might be one of the things. Well, that's fair. You know, you know it's, it's fair. Yeah. Um, but you do make a very compelling argument. That's very interesting. I think that's going to have to be a topic, too. And so. speaking of standing orders, you, you want to know what really grinds my gears? What? Paramedics who think that we don't require physician orders to do the things we do. No, oh, that's literally the definition. It's in the word. Standing I know. order. I yeah. know. But you'll hear paramedics say, well, I like, you know, I'm better than a nurse or whatever because I don't require any physician orders. Well. You literally do. You literally do. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just a, a passing thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most, most of our orders are standing orders. Yeah. You know, we don't require mm-hmm. mother may I for... A lot of things, but um, nothing we do happens without being signed off by a physician. Sure, sure. And I mean, to put it into perspective, even like there's treatment guidelines for physicians too. Sure. Right? I mean, uh, they obviously aren't bound. I imagine they're not bound to them. Or maybe they are, but if there's like order sets and stuff like that in today's like administrative medicine yeah. model, you know, but... uh uh I think if they go outside of those, they have to justify Everyone it. has a mother. Yeah. Everyone has yeah, a mother. Yeah, I mean, you physicians, know. every department, the ED has a medical director. Yeah. Every physician reports to that medical director. Do and they? that medical director has a medical director. Do they? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, and for the record, I'm not comparing paramedics to physicians. There's no way you can replace anything for a medical education of, you know, four years of medical school and residency training blah, blah blah compared to like you know our education standards but i also don't yeah i, I the, the i think people miss the amount of effort that goes into protocol development yeah like how much time and effort and enlighten us yeah no no i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to because i've I, I well number one i don't participate that's not part of my job um I mean, I've been to meetings that um, I prefer not to go to. Yeah. But, yeah. I shouldn't say that. That part might get edited out. <laughs> but we're at 30 minutes, and I'm not going to lie. I've hit a wall. Okay. Yeah. Well, this let's close good. it out. Well, thanks for listening in. Uh, website's being worked on. Uh, social media uh, is being worked on. But uh, we really appreciate your feedback. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Uh, if you have any ideas, shoot us an email, admin at alertmedic1.com. We really appreciate you listening to us. Some uh, really awesome things coming down the pipeline. Uh, so uh, that's all for now. Thank you very much. Like, comment, share, review. Yeah. I always forget to say that. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs>
Have a great night, everybody. You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner. Thank you.